Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, ever draw near and fill us with your Spirit as we have heard your word, that we would be drawn more and more into Christ to abide and to rest, to be changed into those who love him and love one another. Grant us the strength and the power by your Spirit to do that very thing that you have called us to do. For in your calling, you are promising to be there to give us the grace we need. And so we implore you to pour that upon us always and forevermore through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So just seeing our... our, um, Printouts up here for the scripture readings. I suddenly realized, like, hey, I misread. I've been misreading what it said the verses were in first in the Gospel of John all week long, and so I read two extra verses. So I apologize for that. Um, shows you how good my eyesight is when I'm staring at the prayer book all week long. All right, but and it's also funny how sometimes I neglect to really look ahead and think about what passages are about because last week I preached so much about abiding and resting in Christ and here we come to John 15 now where that is what is happening. Jesus is telling His disciples that He is divine, that He is not just divine, but the real vine, the true vine, the eternal vine, and that we are called to abide in Him. But even so, that abiding that happens here in John 15, like I said last week, does echo back, I think, into John 14 where we were emphasizing and talking about and resting in that reality that the Holy Spirit has been given and that for the disciples He was dwelling in them even then before He had been poured out and that He would be in them later on, that He would fill them up. And so there is that mysterious sense of which the Holy Spirit is there with the disciples, even in the garden, even before Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, that the Spirit is the one who has caused them to follow Jesus, to believe in Him. And thus, the Spirit was abiding in them, that they would in turn abide in Christ. And that's where we are today now, that Christ continues His teaching. He continues reminding His disciples that they are to love one another, that they are to love Christ, and to abide in Christ's love means following Him, obeying Him, and doing the things that He has called us to do. But the reality is, it starts to feel a little heavy, you might say. It starts to feel burdensome when you just read over and over Jesus saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you want to abide in my love, keep my commandments. It starts to feel burdensome, wearing you down more and more to hear that, I think. But it's not to be a burden. Because Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, that in all the callings from Jesus to obey His commandments, to walk in His ways, to abide in Him, all of that is to bring us joy, is to put us in a place to where we can find that joy of Christ in us, being put into us, so that our joy would be full and overflowing. And all of that flows directly out of who God is in and of Himself. And we hear about that over in 1 John chapter 4. We hear that God is love. And thus, if God is love, that love overflows out of Himself. It doesn't stay privatized with Him, but overflows. And thus, 
And Jesus is calling to us to abide in His love. He can do that because God first loved us. His love first overflowed towards us. First in creation itself. In the fact that He made all things, but super abundantly does it flow to us in Jesus. Because Jesus is God Himself in the flesh. The Son of God taking on human flesh to dwell amongst us and to go to the cross on our behalf to take away our sins, to take away that impediment between us and the Father. And that is God's love toward us shown and demonstrated and put forth before all of creation and all of the world that in all of our brokenness, God became incarnate and died on our behalf. Mysteriously, the divine essence God the Son becoming human, that He would suffer our just punishment, that He would suffer on our behalf. And that is God's love displayed before all the world. This is who our God is, one who pours Himself out, one who calls upon us to respond to His being poured out. As Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. The natural outgrowth of abiding is keeping commandments, is obeying Jesus. It is obeying the Father. Just as Jesus abided, abided in the Father's love, it was through His keeping the commandments, but that love was already preexistent. Abiding means you're resting in something that is already there. Thus, the love of the Father for the Son is already there. And out of that love that exists, Jesus abides by keeping the commandments, by following the will of the Father through all things, even to death upon the cross. And thus is the same for us. The love of Jesus is already here for us. It has been demonstrated upon the cross. The love is there for us to simply rest in, to dwell in, to abide in. His love pre-exists us by eternity. His love has always been there for His people. If His love did not pre-exist us, He would not have gone to the cross for us. Because in this is love that Christ died for us. God reveals His love for us through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And thus we are enabled, because that love is already there, to rest in that love. That love is poured upon us in our baptisms as the promises of God are given to us. And we are enabled to abide because of that. And drawing out of that abiding love that Jesus gives to us, the rest that we find in that love, we are enabled and empowered and changed to pursue His commandments, to follow His commandments, to follow God's will for us. And that love changes us. It renews us. It makes us into the kind of people who desire to follow. It makes us into the kind of people who will find joy in obedience. It makes us the kind of people who will find the joy of Jesus Himself in our hearts. Amen. And out of our hearts, it will overflow to others. It will overflow to those around us as they see that we aren't begrudgingly obeying burdensome commandments. But we have discovered a great love for ourselves from Jesus. A great love poured upon us that sends us out. That gives us rest. That lets us make mistakes. Because all of our mistakes and sins have already been forgiven. And when that happens and the sins happen, we can turn back in confession and repentance. 
and find rest in that love once more. For in confession and repentance we are abiding in the commandments. We are obeying and keeping the commandments because we are keeping ever before ourselves the reality of the sinfulness within. The sin nature that gnaws away at us and drives us down and trips us up. We confess our sins and we abide in Christ's love because His love is already there. And so love and abiding in Christ is an intentional action of the believer. It isn't an accidental occurrence. We don't just kind of stumble into it. We don't stumble into abiding and dwelling. It's something we consciously do. But we are consciously able to do it because of the promise of Christ. He has promised us renewal. He has promised us His Spirit. He has promised us all things in salvation and redemption. Those promises that flow out of His love are what gift us with the ability to abide and find the true rest in His strength and power. We don't draw it up from ourselves. It is a love that is outside of us that invades us. And so we don't passively abide. We think of rest as being so utterly passive, but we wrestle against our sinful nature and have to receive over and over that love of God, that love of Christ, in order that we would then continually abide. And we discover that there is that rest that we gain, that we find peace in, resting and abiding in Christ. And we abide and we rest. And that leads us to that joy once more. As we rest, we find Christ's joy. As we obey, we find Christ's joy in us and over us and around us. And then we see that Christ Himself is our joy. For He has laid the groundwork of salvation and redemption and laid the groundwork of our redemption, our renewal, our change into glorious beings who far exceed what creation once was, who far exceed how God originally created Adam and Eve. That we become glorified as Jesus has been glorified in the end. And thus Christ becomes the object of joy for us. And the more we see Christ as that object of joy, the more we discover His joy to be ours. The more we discover our joy overflowing in everything that we do. And then Jesus shifts gears in our passage. He reminds them that this is the commandment I've given you. Love one another as I have loved you. And then He gives us a beautiful definition of love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. At verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, has been a verse that has been abused and beaten over the years. Bent out of shape and made to mean things that it didn't necessarily intend to mean. But here in this context, it is explicitly about Jesus' death and resurrection. That He is showing the greatest love of all by laying down His life for the salvation of His friends. And who are His friends? The disciples. And by extension through those disciples, us. You are my friends. I love how those just come together. 
Someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. The power of that statement, you are my friends, comes out of the reality that only two people in all of Scripture are called friends in the Old Testament. Only two people get called friends of God. The first one is Abraham, and the second is Moses. The Old Testament only ever refers to them as friends of God. One, the father of all the faithful, and one, the leader of the people out of Egyptian slavery. Scripture calls them friends and no one else. And here Jesus looks at His disciples and through them looks to us and says, You are my friends. And thus we become friends of God through Jesus. We attain a status that only Abraham and Moses were gifted with in the Old Testament. Not that God didn't desire that depth of friendship with others, but it only explicitly speaks of them as having that level of being face-to-face with God in such a way that He would refer to them as friends. And that's the beauty of Jesus looking to us and looking at us and saying, you are my friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his master, know what his master is doing. The servant just merely follows whatever commands come and go, not knowing the mind of the master. But friends know and understand their friend. They get more than a surface level interaction. They get a depth and an intimacy that only comes from a depth and a deep and abiding and loving friendship. And some might say, well, Jesus says you are my friends if you do what I command. Isn't He putting a condition on the friendship He gives? Well, on one hand, yes. But on another, when you're friends with someone, you desire to do what is going to help that friendship to grow. And all of Jesus' commands are ones that are going to help us, that are going to change us, that are going to renew us, that are what we were intended to be and do. His commands aren't abusive commands. They're not manipulative commands. And so I see no problem with Jesus saying that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Because Jesus is also our King. But He enters into a deep and abiding friendship with us. And we come and understand and dwell in that friendship as we follow His commands, as we love Him and love one another. And even in our failures of that Of those two things, we continue to abide as we recognize that failure, as we confess that failure. I keep coming back to that because I don't want anyone to mistake that you lose the love of Christ for you because you mess up in sin, because you fall out of the grace in some way. You can always return back to that original plank of forgiveness and confession that you can return to that starting point in justification once more. Every time we sin, we can turn back to Jesus And find forgiveness in Him alone. Because He is our friend. He welcomes us back always. As we struggle and strive and stumble and fall, He lifts us back up and brings us back to Himself. Because that's what a friend does. He has laid down His life for His friends. And we have been called His friends because He has given us all that His Father has said. He's made it known to us. He didn't choose They didn't choose Him, but He chose them. He lifted the disciples up to be His disciples, to be His appointed ones. And He specifically says, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Because they are following what Jesus has called them to do. 
And likewise for us, as we find ourselves caught up in salvation, it turns out that we didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. He laid hold of us. He took hold of our broken and destitute hearts and renewed it and remolded it and made it into a new heart so that we would respond to the salvation He has given us. All of this happens every time we hear the Word of God read or preached. Every time we hear the liturgy proclaimed. We hear of the great love of Jesus to lay hold of sinners and make them His own. And that is what Jesus is doing here with His disciples. He is laying hold of them and making them His own once more. So that they will go out and bear fruit and they're abiding in Him. Which is what He wants them to do from the beginning of this chapter. You bear fruit as you abide in the vine. We bear fruit as we abide in Christ. Our fruit will come forth out of us as we intentionally abide, as we intentionally rest, as we intentionally follow Jesus. We find fruit growing out of us. And we find that we find joy in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. We find joy in abandoning our old ways and being changed into people who love Jesus. And out of that love of Jesus, He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. He calls us to abide in Himself so that we can then take that very love that He puts in us and love one another with it. Once more, we don't conjure love up out of ourselves for other people. The love that we extend to others is a love that Jesus puts in us. It's a love that He creates in us. It's a love that He produces in us. As we rest in Him and rest in His love, His love creates new love in us. It creates love for Himself that grows and grows. And it creates love for others. And love here is not an emotion, but is an action, is a reaching out a giving of mercy and compassion to all of those around us, extending the forgiveness we have received to those around us. For as we have been forgiven, we are called to forgive others. We are called to extend Jesus' forgiveness and love to those around us, to whoever they may be as we go out into this world, and that is the fruit that will grow out of us, that will abide So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. As we bear the right kind of fruit, we will come to have the right kinds of requests that are within the will of God. And He will begin working to bring about His will, to bring about those things that He desires to see in this world, that He desires to see happen. And as we are changed, our desires are changed. And we will find rest in seeking after the things that please God. That is the mystery of prayer. Sometimes we get what we request and sometimes we don't. And sometimes it happens years and years later and we don't understand the workings of God there. Especially when we encounter promises, whatever you ask in the name of my Father, the Father in my name, He may give it to you. But we see that it is found in that abiding. As we abide and produce fruit, we are changed by that very fruit. We are changed by our actions because of the love that undergirds those actions. And we begin requesting different kinds of things than what we did when we were first saved. And we see God beginning to answer because we're given bigger eyes to see and to feel and to understand what is going on. And so we abide in Christ always. We rest in Christ always. 
in order that we would know his love. We abide in his love as we abide in Christ. If we don't abide in Christ, we don't abide in his love. If we don't rest in Christ, we don't rest in his love. If we don't have his love, then we can't keep his commandments. If we don't abide in his love, we won't keep his commandments. It's all bound up together. That mystery of salvation, of change, of renewal, of abiding and resting, having an intentionality behind it. To rest, you have to be intentional. To abide, you have to be intentional. It's not a passive action on our behalf, but it's a putting down of the sin nature, a putting down of the resistance in order to receive what Jesus has done. But it all flows out of the love of God for us, that we are intended and able to act because of the love of God and the death of Jesus. God gave Jesus to die on our behalf. God gave Jesus to lift us up and to renew us, to change us into the people who abide in His love. And so through the love of God, you can abide. Through the love of God, you can rest. But that love of God is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so that love isn't fully upon you if you don't know Jesus. That love is not fully upon you if you are rejecting Jesus. The love is there to be received as you turn back. And so we're called continually to turn away from our sins, to turn back to Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to rest in Jesus alone. And in that resting, we know the fullness of love. We know the fullness of joy. We know the fullness of who God is. And so once more, receive Jesus. Believe that He is the lover of your soul. Know that He is the lover of your soul and that He has laid down His life on your behalf. He has laid it down so that you would know Him. He has laid it down so that you could find rest in Him. That you could flee from this sinful world and flee from your sinful self into His love and be changed and be renewed and become ones who continually abide and rest and know Him as your own Savior and as your friend. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.